turn with us to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're starting off this morning. Uh, We're just continuing to walk through the book of 2 Timothy right now in our church in this series called Fan the Flame. Um, And we're really kind of pressing into the Lord and and to, to listen to Paul here and his teaching on how we can fan the flame of our faith and how we can walk closer with Jesus and be more um, pressed into the Lord together as a people. And, and I, I think today is going to be helpful in that as well um, as we dig into how to love God or how to be a lover of God. Um, and so as I was walking through the text this week, I was thinking on, um, you know, there's a lot of chatter these days uh, around this idea of the need for self-love. Have you heard that term before, right? Like a lot of, a lot of that going around right now. I, I did a little research. One author defines self-love like this. Self-love means having a high regard for your own well-being and happiness. Self-love means taking care of your own needs and not sacrificing your well-being to please others. Self-love means not settling for less than you deserve. This whole idea of self-love is this, that in order to have a good, healthy, productive life, right, the first step, the essential step, is that you have to love yourself. And most of the problems in your life, most of the issues that you experience in our culture is because you are not loving yourself enough or correctly or in the right way according to our, our culture. We see mantras, we see quotes like this all over the place. I, I pulled a couple off of social media this week. Um, you've got to love yourself first. You've got to be okay on your own before you can be okay with somebody else. The wise J-Lo. I don't know know where you're getting your spiritual advice this week, but that's, or how about this one? Love yourself first and everything else falls into line. That's from Lucille Ball, if comedians are your thing. Or maybe here's one a little bit more spiritual-minded kind of person, some would say. Says, you yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. And that's from Buddha. See, the problem with this philosophy, this idea of self-love, is that it actually leads us into a prison with our minds as the warden. This self-made prison that we put ourselves in, and it produces this idea that, that we can't, or do, if, if we can't or don't perfectly love ourselves, then we are unlovable to anyone else. And I have to fix myself, and I have to get my heart and my, my own mental and self-love health right before I can be invested in any other healthy relationship. And it puts all the weight of fixing me and fixing my heart and fixing my life squarely on my own shoulders. And the problem with that is none of us can do that. None of us have what it takes to fix ourselves to fix our hearts, to get love right. That's why I'm really thankful that God's word gives us a different perspective this morning. The Bible says that, God says that we don't need to love ourselves more. We need to love God more. In fact, the Bible says one of our biggest problems is that we already love ourselves too much. Right? And that we constantly are needing to feed our own heart and feed our own desires to make ourselves feel worthy. 
You know, in the Gospels, Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, actually, I'll give you two. All right, two for the price of one. He says the two greatest commandments, in other words, the two greatest helps for you in your life. Number one, love God with all that you are. And number two, love others as yourself. Like right, right there, Mike, right there. It just said right there, love yourself, right? Like as yourself. No, no, Jesus is saying you need to, you already love yourself enough. He's using the, the, the innate passion that we have for loving ourselves He's saying you need to take that love and redirect that to loving God and loving others more than yourself. That's the call of Christ. The reason there's so much emphasis on self-love today in our culture is not really because of love. It's because they're trying to fix a self-esteem issue. So many people struggle with low self-esteem. They're trying to fix this problem. They just need to love yourself more. But the answer to low self-esteem is not loving yourself more. The answer to low self-esteem is high God-esteem. Because as you worship him and honor him as the one who is truly worthy of everything, he then can give you worth and love and value in your life that you can never come up with on your own. It's about where we're directing our hearts. And so the ultimate contrast, the ultimate question between those who are living for the world and those who are living for the Lord is this question this morning. I want you to ask yourself, as we walk through the text this morning, ask yourself this question. Who do I love more? Myself or God? Who do I love more? So with that in mind, look with me, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, but understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, he's, he's drawing attention here. He's halfway through the, through the letter, right? Chapter 3 is kind of the turning point. He says, listen, understand this. Pay attention. What I'm about to tell you is vital to your life. He says, in the last days. Now, the last days in Scripture is just kind of a, a phrase that describes the time period between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Right now, right here, we are living in the last days, and the people of God have been living in the last days for the last 2,000 years. Okay? He says, but throughout these last days, there will be times of trouble. There will be times where it's harder to follow Christ than others. There will be times where the trouble intensifies. Okay? He says, in the midst of all of this, verse 2, he's going to now give us this long list of character traits that are bookended by two summary descriptions. Lovers of self and lovers of God. And Paul's using this list as a contrast to teach Timothy and all of us, this is what it looks like in those last days to follow and to love God rather than yourself. Now, before I get into the list... This is not just a moral or behavioral checklist for you this morning. So many people come to the Bible thinking that it's just this big long of list of do's and don'ts and rules, and that's not what this is about. This list this morning is not just a list for you to try to check off all the stuff to prove yourself to God. This is a heart test. This is a a personal, spiritual checkup with the great physician. 
And just like when you go in for your annual checkup, which you should do, by the way, with your regular doctor, he doesn't want to check your wife, right? He doesn't want to check your kids or your boss or your neighbors. He wants to check you. He wants to check your health. And today, God wants to check your spiritual health using this scripture. So don't be thinking about somebody else this morning. <laughs> I mean, I'm really glad they're here. I'm, I hope they're listening to this, right? I know that's not, you're missing the point. This is a personal spiritual checkup between you and God today. This is a heart test for you. It's also a test of genuine salvation. Not because anything on this list will earn you salvation, not because any of this will earn you a place with God, but because this tells you whether or not you already have a place with God. This tells you whether or not your heart is already truly loving God and giving your life to Jesus Christ. And if this list seems foreign to you, then there might, we might need to have another conversation about what it means to be saved and to follow Jesus today. All right, that's the backdrop. Are you ready? You're about to listen to a 17-point sermon. Are you sure you're ready? Okay, we're going to get this in, all right? We're going to get it. Just stay with me this morning, okay? Verse number two, let's read the list. For people will be lovers of self, there's our category, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of of God. So we're going to walk through this list. And we're going to draw a contrast now between the lovers of self and lovers of God. First thing, lovers of self love money. That's right, Mike. I heard that one time. The Bible says, right, that, that money is the root of all evil. Actually, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Because when I love money, I'm always looking for ways to use money to love myself. Right? In fact, this is probably the most quantifiable characteristic in the whole list. It's very easy for us to see when we are loving ourselves by loving money. In fact, your bank your financial institution, they love you so much that they give you a love of money scorecard every month. They send it to your inbox or your mailbox or however you do it. And you can look at your bank statement and you can very quickly see how much of my money am I using to love myself versus loving others. Because lovers of self love money Use money to love themselves. Lovers of God love to be generous. Because we recognize that all money comes from God. It comes from his generosity to us. And we want to follow in his example. Being generous as a follower, as a lover of God, starts with what we would call predetermined percentage giving. 
In other words, I decide beforehand, before I spend any money, before I save any money, I decide what percentage of the money that God gives to me am I going to willingly and generously give back to him. That's what it looks like to be a generous lover of God. And I do this because I love myself enough not to let myself be controlled by my money. And so I determined that I'm going to love God by being generous. That's the first one. Number two, lovers of self are arrogant. Arrogant means, I'm sorry, I scripted one. Lovers of self are proud. Don't let me skip a word. Y'all should have been like, whoa. Lovers of self are proud. That means braggart. The word proud there literally means braggart. It means that my mouth is too big for my body. <laughs> That's like the, the literal translation of, of that Greek or the, the meaning of that Greek word. Someone who is proud means I am all about self-promotion, right? Look at me. I've got this. You can't touch this. Like whatever your generation said in it, okay? Like lovers of self are proud, but lovers of God are spiritually needy. We recognize our need for God. I recognize that I can't do this on my own. This life doesn't work that way. We acknowledge our own weaknesses because we are dependent on God's grace and on God's power, not our own. Number three, lovers of self are arrogant. This is actually related to the previous word, proud, but it's a little bit different. It means that I have an unwarranted self-importance. I think that the world should revolve around me, right, that I'm the center of the universe. I, now, listen. We're only to number three. <laughs> I know this list is hard. Um, th- just think if you sat in it all week preparing for this sermon, right? God has been working hard on my own heart this week as I've been walking through this. And this right here is one of the things. I have a tendency to lapse back into this mindset. I am a recovering lover of self this morning. Anybody else in the room? Right? And I have a tendency to be arrogant. I complain when things don't go my way, when I don't get it the way I want it, right? I, I get angry when others get in the way of my plan and my comfort and my desires because I'm arrogant and I think the world should revolve around me. I think everyone else should love me as much as I love me. This is where most of the problems in my marriage and in my family come because I'm loving myself too much. This is why my major idol in my life is an idol of success, because I love myself so much, I can't stand to let myself fail. It's so easy to slip back into these things. Lovers of God are, I'm sorry, lovers of self are arrogant, but lovers of God are unassuming. We understand that we don't deserve anything from God. We are completely unworthy of his love and grace and mercy. And the only thing that we deserve is hell and wrath and punishment for our sin. But instead, the God of the universe, the one who is actually the center of the universe, gives us grace anyways. Number four, lovers of self are abusive. The word abusive here... um, is more the mindset of, of verbally abusive, 
These are the people who use their words as weapons to hurt others. Oftentimes, those who are verbally abusive do this in an effort to protect, right? I want to protect my own pride. I want to protect my own image. I want to protect my own heart, my desires, because I love myself. So I'm going to tear you down. And these kind of people, they find it very difficult to keep relationships because they're always crumbling. They're always blowing up in their face. They're always, no one wants to be around them. But lovers of God are affirming. Instead of using words as a weapon, we use words to create safe havens for the hearts of other people. Our speech is full of love and grace that brings help and healing rather than hurt. Number five, lovers of self are disobedient to parents. Now, we have lots of great kids running around Harvest these days, and I love it. Right, I love seeing all the young families coming in and worshiping and the kids coming up underneath God's word. But there's one thing that every kid in this church has in common, from the nursery all the way up through high school students, every single one of them loves themselves. And if you've been a parent for more than two seconds, you know how much your children love themselves. Right? And some of you students that are in here today, you've spent time this whole weekend with Pastor Mason and, and with the team, and they're teaching you. And, and I want you to think about this for a second. Sometimes, students, you disobey your parents. Do you know why? Because you love yourself. Because you want to satisfy your own desires and your own hearts and what you want, no matter what mom and dad says. But what's, what's really interesting to me is, why does God put this in the list? Like, you think about the, all the stuff in this list. Like, this is a pretty heavy sin list. And right in the middle of it there, we got disobedient to parents. Why did that make the list? It's because, students, when you are disobedient to your parents, you're actually disobedient to God. Because he's the one who put them in that position of authority in your life. And so learning to be obedient to your parents is actually learning to submit to the authority of God as they act on his behalf. So lovers of self are disobedient parents. Lovers of God are obedient to authority. This is why parents, it's so crucial that we discipline our kids and we teach them how to obey our authority because ultimately we're teaching their hearts how to obey God's authority for the rest of their lives. We've seen a lot of adults, especially this last year or two, struggle or even outright refuse to obey the God-given authority over them. Why is that? Either A, they never learned it as a child from their parents, or B, they just don't trust God enough to submit to the authority that he has put in place. The problem with that is, for kids, for adults, it doesn't matter. The problem is this. When you step outside of God's authority, you step outside of God's protection. And that's not where you want to be. John 14, 15, Jesus said this to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Lovers of God are obedient to authority. Number six, lovers of self are ungrateful. Ungrateful, in other words, I always want more. I'm never satisfied with what I have. I feel entitled, and I feel cheated anytime someone else gets something that I don't have. And worst of all, because I'm ungrateful, my sinful desire, in my sinful desire, I forget the goodness of God and all that he has given to me. And every advertising agency on the planet knows this, and they feed on it every time they feed you an ad. I remember one several years back from GMC that just really, they didn't even try to hide it, right? <laughs> like, like the tagline was this. It said, um, not more than you need, just more than you, I'm sorry. Yeah, not more than you need, just more than you're used to. Like just straight out there. Just, it's okay. Go for it. Go for your desires. All of it. Lovers of God are, I'm sorry, lovers of self are ungrateful. Lovers of God are thankful. We recognize that we already have been given more than we deserve from God. And we trust God to supply all that we will need. Not all that we want, but all that we need. And we are content with his provision for us. Number seven, lovers of self are unholy. Unholy means I resist God's holy standard, written in his holy word, revealed by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to listen to that. I want to live by my own standards. I want to live life according to me. No one else's. But lovers of God are set apart. We don't live according to the sinful desires of this world or of our flesh, but rather according to God's holy word. We submit our lives to him and to his purposes. The early church had a Latin phrase that they used to describe this mindset, this heart, quorum Deo, meaning living in the presence of God. That's what it means to be set apart, that I live my life every moment, every day, trying to be cognizant that I am in the presence of God. And living according to his word. Number eight, lovers of self are heartless. This means without natural affection or emotion. So actually, we actually had a funny example of this pop up in our house a couple weeks ago. We have a, we have a dog named Molly. She's getting older these days and, and probably coming to the kind of the end of her life. And, and she was having some seizures a couple weeks ago and was really struggling. So Courtney was going to take her into the doctor, into the vet that day, and get her checked out. We thought, this might be, like, this might be it. Like, she might, she might be done today. And so she told the girls, hey, before you guys go to school, um, you might want to say bye to Molly, because I'm not sure if, you know, she'll be here when you get home. And so our young, our middle daughter, Kara, she, she picks up Molly, and she's, oh, Molly, I love you. And she's crying, I'm going to miss you. And, 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 and Courtney says, hey, Ava, um, do you want to say bye to Molly? And Ava was like, bye, Molly. Courtney was telling me the story, and I was like, I love that girl. <laughs> like, just same cloth. Just like, that's, that's the idea here of heartless. Not with a dog, all right? Dogs are different. For some of you, they're not. But for most people, okay, they're, but he's talking about here for humans, right? That we lack love. We lack a heart for other people. I'm too busy loving myself. 
to love anybody else. I have a mentality that it's me before you rather than you before me. And because of this, I feel the need to, to criticize people and to pass judgment on them, on why they messed up. And if you wouldn't have done this, and if you wouldn't have done that, then you wouldn't have gotten yourself in this place. And so that's on you, and so just deal with it. Lovers of, lovers of God are compassionate. We don't judge them. Rather, we love them and we weep with them. We step into their pain. And we walk with them in their struggle, just like Jesus Christ did for us. He left heaven, and he came to earth, and he stepped into our pain and our struggle, and he walked the life that we have to walk because he was compassionate towards us. Okay, that's half the list. Let's just take a breath for a moment, right? Anybody want to tap out? Like, I'm done. I, that's enough. I'm good. I'm going home. Right. Um, Somebody like, like, I don't need to hear any more. I'll get saved right now. Just tell me what to do. Like, I'm in. Like, I can't take it. We're going to finish the list. Number nine, lovers of self are unappeasable. Actually, that word in many translations, if you have a different translation than what I'm using, usually it's translated unforgiving. I think that, that's probably a better translation. That's really what the word means. That lovers of self are unforgiving. They re, I refuse to work towards reconciliation. I refuse to work towards forgiveness. I'm going to keep my distance from that person. I'm going to give them that, that cold shoulder. I'm going to refuse to show grace because my love for myself is too strong. And I can't allow myself to absorb the pain of their sin and lovingly forgive them because that would cost me too much. Lovers of God are forgiving. We understand that God willingly forgives us every sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. That our hearts have been impressed with the truth that forgiven people forgive people. And that there's no one in this life who has ever sinned against me more than I've sinned against God. And yet, he forgives me every single one. Remember when Jesus told his disciples to forgive 70 times 7? He wasn't actually asking them to do math that day. He was just like unlimited, like without limit, just keep forgiving because he does the same for us. Number 10, lovers of self are slanderers. I thought this was interesting. I was studying this this week, and the word slanderer there has this, um, this sense of, of diabolical or, or devilish um, because that is exactly what Satan does. He's a slanderer. He speaks falsely about us, and he tries to destroy our reputation with others and with God, and even with ourselves, as he lies to us about who we are. See, when I love myself, I want to tear others down with accusations and lies and half-truths. And when I'm doing that, it's demonic. Because I'm acting like Satan himself. But lovers of God 
are builders. We use our words not to tear others down, but to build them up, right? To honor them, to love on them. We believe, Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue is a powerful thing. And so we seek to live out Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only, say only, only such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Number 11, lovers of self are without self-control. Meaning, I lack the ability to say no to sin. I have no discipline in my life, and that's why I'm addicted to things. That's why I'm addicted to things like food and sex and drink and sleep and screens and buying stuff and whatever your thing is. Because I love myself so much that I have to indulge myself at every opportunity. And I lack self-control. But lovers of God are disciplined. We do the hard work of disciplining our minds and disciplining our hearts and disciplining our lives and our habits to live out our love for God. It's not easy. That's why it's called discipline. But we do the hard work to keep loving God instead of loving ourselves. Listen, I know that sometimes it's hard. It's hard to follow Christ. It's hard to live out your faith. It's hard to get to church on Sunday. Right? Especially if you've got a family, if you've got kids, you've got little kids, you've got weird work hours, you've got all the stuff, right? Like, here's the deal. If, if getting to Sunday morning church is not a Sunday morning decision, right? it's a night decision. For our family, it's a Thursday night decision. Because we have to plan our whole weekend to make sure that we still have enough gas left in the tank that when we get to church on Sunday, we have something to give to God. Most of the time when you miss church on Sunday, it's not because you love you don't love God. It's because you loved yourself too much on Saturday or on Friday, or both, and you just don't have it, you're out. We have to discipline ourselves. We have to have self-control to follow the Lord. Number 12, lovers of self are brutal. Not Bruno. I didn't, no, we, don't, we don't talk about Bruno. I said brutal. <laughs> brutal literally means a savage animal. Praying on others, destroying them to satisfy myself. Some of y'all can ask somebody else after church. This is the person who constantly bulldozes over other people to get their way. They're going to get what they want. They're going to crush anyone in the path. They're brutal. But lovers of God are sacrificial. We love others more than ourselves, and so we yield our rights to sacrificially love others 
more than ourselves. We lay down what we want in order to serve someone else. Number 13, lovers of self don't love good. This is kind of a weird one. It's kind of phrased weird, but it basically just means they don't love good for others. They only love good for themselves, right? They, they, they only want to look out for number one. What's good for me? I never rejoice in the victories or the benefits of other people because I'm just jealous that that thing didn't come to me instead. But lovers of God love good because we celebrate when God blesses anyone because when he blesses anyone, it shows his goodness to everyone. And we want to rejoice in that. We are blessed to see his glory on display in the lives of other people, not just ourselves. Number 14, lovers of self are treacherous. It means traitor or backstabber or betrayal. Think about Judas, right, and the way he betrayed Jesus. Lovers of self are treacherous because I disappear in times of difficulty. When things get tough, I'm not willing to inconvenience myself or suffer on behalf of anyone else. So when things get bad, I'm out. You're on your own. But lovers of God are loyal. We keep our commitments. We stay faithful. We stick around in tough times to be a channel of God's love to others when they're hurting. Number 15, lovers of self are reckless, meaning I make foolish and rash decisions because I am always seeking immediate gratification for me. Right? Whatever it takes in the moment to make me happy. No plan, no forethought, just impulsive, reckless action. Which I find it really strange. Side note, I find it really strange that we would try to use this word that God assigns to sinful lovers of self to try to describe the great and perfect love of God that he has for us. Lovers of God are responsible. We live in light of eternity, not just here and now. We look at God's bigger purposes. We look at his mission rather than our own momentary whims and desires. We're focused on building a legacy of faith, something that we can leave to the next generation that the gospel might continue to go forward, not just serving us in the moment. Number 16, lovers of self are swollen with conceit. That phrase, swollen with conceit, in the Greek is actually like a, like a word picture, and it means to be surrounded by or wrapped in smoke. I think about when you get up on like that mor- those really foggy mornings, right, and you walk outside or you get in your car and you can't even see like two feet in front of your face. It's just so thick. That's the picture here, the swollen with conceit means I can't see. I can't see my own sin. I can't see my own blind spots. And so I'm unteachable. I'm unreasonable. 
because I, I know best and you can't tell me any different. Confirmation bias, right? I only listen to voices who agree with me and I continue to just shout at the top of my lungs because I can't hear or see anything else. When I was going through the training center, they called this the fatal flaw. You can't see it and you won't hear it. There's nothing we can do for you. Swollen with conceit. But lovers of God are humble to learn. We're hungry for the truth. No matter where it comes from or what it costs us, we're humble enough to learn from God and to be corrected by his word. We seek to be self-aware of our own sin and our own weaknesses. To have our eyes opened. Number 17, last one. Lovers of self are lovers of pleasure. I'm consumed with the pleasures of this world, and no matter how much I get, it's never enough. I always want more. Once upon a time, J.D. Rockefeller, famous business tycoon, very rich, somebody asked him, J.D., how, how much money is enough? His answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Lovers of pleasure always want just a little bit more. Never satisfied, but lovers of God worship the giver of pleasure. Not the pleasure, the giver of pleasure. We understand that all good gifts God gives us in this world are not ends in of themselves. They're meant to point us back to him. And his greatness and his goodness, he is the giver of all good things, and he is actually the greatest pleasure we will ever experience is a relationship with the God of the universe. That's what we're running after. That's what we're seeking. And so we look beyond this world to the pleasures of eternity and being in the presence of our great and awesome God. So that's the list. So what now? What do we do with this? Like, that's a lot. That's heavy. Well, the reason I wanted to walk through this with you this morning was, listen, guys, I believe that this right here is the greatest danger to our church. This is the greatest danger to our lives, that we would continue to live as lovers of self instead of lovers of God especially here in America, especially in the Midwest, in the suburbs, with all of our amenities, with all of our entertainment, with all of our discretionary money and discretionary time, it is very, very easy to love ourselves too much and to slide into this mentality. And God is saying, from his word, he's saying, don't waste your life loving yourself. He has so much more. He has so much more for us if we will be lovers of God. But it's so easy. It's so easy. We're doing good. We're doing good. And then we start slipping back into this lovers of self heart and mindset. I just confessed to you earlier some of my own 
that I had to deal with the Lord with this week. So how do we do this? We have to rehearse this list in our hearts, in our minds, on a regular basis. We have to check ourselves. Am I loving myself or am I loving God? We have to fill our minds with the one who is truly worthy. And think about how we can love him every day more than we love ourselves. But if you're feeling heavy today, let me just give you some good news. Here's the really, really great news this morning. God loves lovers of self. Like, he still loves you. He still loves me. And he knows that we have this problem. This is the whole point of the gospel. Is that we were all born as lovers of ourselves, and we rebel against God, and we disobey his word, and we want to do our own thing, our own way, and we run from him. We run to our desires. We run to our own things that we want to do to love ourselves instead of loving him. And we can't fix it. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come, to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to take that life and give it as a sacrifice for lovers of self on the cross. To stand in our place and to take the punishment and the death that we deserve for our sin. And he put it on himself and he was buried, and three days later he rose back to life to prove that he was God and to say, all those who will believe in me, all those who will turn from loving yourself and love me, you will be saved and forgiven, and you can have a relationship with God. God loves you, and he loves you enough to call you out and to save you from being lovers of self. So ask yourself this morning, who do I love more? Myself or God? If you would, just right where you're sitting, just bow your heads with me for a moment here. I want to give you just a moment this morning just to pray between you and God. No one else is going to listen in. Nobody else is going to call you up. But some of you this morning, the Holy Spirit shot an arrow through your heart when I was walking through that list. One or two of those things, man, they stood out and they just crushed you this morning. And the Holy Spirit's working on you right now, and he's calling you out of that. He's calling you out of loving yourself to be a lover of God. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to just spend some time right now, right there in your chair, just between you and the Lord, in silent prayer. If you want to, you can even, if you want to kind of slide out of your chair and turn around, just kind of kneel right there in your chair. Maybe you need to get low before God today. You can do that. But let's talk to the Lord. Let's ask God to help us to change our hearts to love ourselves less and to love him more. Do some work with the Lord right now. Others of you, you saw yourself all over this list. It wasn't one or two things. It was like, man, that, that's like you got my number on every one of those. And if that's you, you might be thinking, I'm not even sure I'm a lover of God at all this morning, Micah. And if that's, if that's you, man, that's a great, great place to be. Because it means you're ready. 
It means your heart finally is ready. You're seeing the truth of your sin. You're seeing your need for Jesus. And this can be the moment where you turn from being a lover of self and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and let him save you, give you a new heart. If you need that this morning, just pray right now. Just ask God, save me from my sin. Give me a new heart. Make me a lover of God.